Last time I spoke, which was only two days ago, I talked to you about the fifth and the sixth seals of Revelation. And there may, there may be some folks that weren't there, but I think most of you were. I want to follow up today and talk about the seventh seal, the seventh seal. But actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the three woes of the seventh seal. The three woes of the seventh seal. Now, Christ's second coming to planet Earth is announced by a mighty trumpet blast. A mighty trumpet blast. Let's go and take a look at that in Matthew 24, verse 31. We spent a fair bit of time in Matthew 24 a couple of days ago. A few things that we left unsaid. In Matthew 24, verse 31 and verse... Uh, yeah. It says, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. When Christ returns, it will be announced by a mighty trumpet blast. And two long-awaited events will take place when he comes. One was specifically addressed there in Matthew 24, verse 31. And that is the resurrection of those who are in Christ at his return which we could read about in Thessalonians if we wanted to. Another event happens, very important. We were talking about it last night at dinner, things that we think about at the Feast of Trumpets. And uh, I, I don't think any of us, uh, well, I think most of us talked about the, what would happen when Christ returns to take up his rule as King of Kings and announce condemnation upon the governments and the cultures and the false religions and all the craziness of humanity. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. We usually read this with uh, an eye towards... The resurrection, which is very much part of this day. But I want to draw out another little tidbit of information from this. Verse 52, Paul writes about big subject, resurrection, post-resurrection body. Verse 52, he says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we, meaning you and Paul, and all those who have gone before, will be changed. Now Paul tells us in here that this trumpet, doo -doo -doo, that trumpet blast is the last trumpet, indicating that there are other trumpets that sound prior to the final blast. The seventh seal 
contains seven trumpets. We looked through the fifth, the sixth, there were things embedded in the seal. Once it's opened, stuff happens, stuff comes out. When the seventh seal is unsealed, seven trumpeters, seven angelic trumpeters proceed forth. And in the prophecies of Revelation, we find out that the final trumpet of a sequence of seven trumpets is the one that we're talking about here. And these seven trumpets begin to blow in succession with the opening of the seventh seal. Let's turn to Revelation 8. And verses 1 through 2. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, so there we go, we're at the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That's a lot of silence. There, that's 10 seconds. That seemed long, didn't it? Imagine half an hour. There was half an hour of silence. And then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And they come out, and they proceed out, and it's a ceremony. And these are the trumpets that will blow. Now we also learn from the prophecies here in Revelation that the last three of these seven trumpets, so you got seven trumpets, but the last three of them, I guess the last three of them, okay, are kind of in a group by themselves. They form a grouping or perhaps a subset, okay, three out of seven. And they are referred to as the three woes. The three woes. You're in Revelation 8. Drop down to chapter, uh, sorry, verse 13 with me. And it says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth as the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So these last three trumpets, there's something special about them. Now the, the word woe isn't a word we use a lot. You know, you probably have heard someone say something like, well, woe is me. And it doesn't really, you know, it comes across as kind of like a silly little thing you say, woe is me. Well, the word woe is a cry of relief, or, or sorry, a cry of grief, that's what I meant to say, a cry of grief and sadness and despair. So, you know, I like to look at the Greek words and write all that. So I look in at the Greek word and I'm looking at it and the breakdown of it and how it sounds is, Ooh, ah, ee. It's, a, it's like a guttural cry of despair. That's what it is. Ah! Woe. Three woes. My purpose today is to review the final blast of the seventh trumpet as part of this grouping of three trumpet blasts, which are the three woes. Trumpet five... Trumpet six and trumpet seven. 
Okay, before we go there, let's just very quickly take a look at the first four trumpets. All right, the first four trumpets. They actually form a group as well. Different group, but they form a group as well. Uh, Revelation 8, and we jumped over this before, but if we read through verse 6 through 12, we get the first four trumpets. So now the seven angels, verse 6, who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then angel number three blew his trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. That's the first four trumpets. Do you notice anything about them that's kind of similar? That they are kind of on a theme here? Well, the first trumpet is something that is unleashed that destroys a third of the vegetation on the earth. And then the second one is something that happens that contaminates a third of all the salt water on the earth. The third trumpet is a third of the fresh water is affected. And the fourth trumpet, a third of the light that reaches the earth through our atmosphere from the sun, moon, stars, etc., is blocked. Possibly through some kind of disturbance in the earth's atmosphere. Don't know. So what's going on here? I think there's a theme, creation. Now, anyone who's looked into the mechanics of life on this planet usually comes to the conclusion that what we have here and what we're experiencing here is the result of a delicate balance of light and gravity and chemical composition and other factors of the material realm. I would be surprised if, if there's anyone who has not heard or, you know, like seen a PBS special or something like that about the nature of the planet and how it's a delicate balance. And if you took one thing and burp, bent it out of place, everything would stop. Life would not be possible. So it's a delicate balance. Let's just accept that as, okay, that's the way it really is. It's a delicate balance. Okay. Now, one theory... One theory that's out there is that these all came to be by some happy accident in space and time. And uh, if you've ever heard anyone talk about that, the, the mathematical odds of all kinds of random events happening that suddenly are, are all work together to create uh, 
this planet and this, the environment that we have, it is so astronomically out of question. You, you can't even write down the number of zeros that it takes to write out the number. It's that big. It's just completely out of any possible, I mean, it's like basically trying to come up with a mathematical equation to say, no, <laughs> it can't happen. <laughs> How many zeros can you write, all right? Um, and, you know, but people who hold this theory, basically, they've heard all this before. I'm not telling them anything they don't know. Because the answer to that is, yeah, yeah, well, well, somehow it all happened, though. That's pretty much the answer. Now, another theory that's out there is that some great mind or a deity or some intelligent force caused all these things to happen and established this delicate balance. Some people even say, well, it's, it's math. Someone like Einstein would say that. However, that mind or that deity or that force is not actively involved in the ongoing maintenance of the universe. Okay, caused it, let it roll, went off to do something else. Now the third theory that I wanna talk about, and this is the one which we teach, is that God, through Christ, has not only created all this, but is actively involved in the ongoing maintenance of the universe and its inhabitants. Put your ribbon in Revelation there and go to Colossians 1. Verse 15 says he, that's Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Let me see everybody's still flipping. Colossians is hard to find. It's right after Philippians. <laughs> all right. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you're reading the King James, it says all things consist, but that's what it means. All things hold together, which to me signifies an active involvement in the creation. So the disasters of the first four trumpets that we looked at, they were a, or will be a demonstration of, of what would happen if the creator no longer actively maintains the delicate balance that allows for life on the planet. Notice that it's not a complete disaster. Yeah. Only a third, you know, it's very, very bad, but it's not complete. And if you want to teach your children a lesson, you know, but well, look, what are the consequences of this? You know, you, you know, if the consequence is death, you don't kill your child. You know, you, 
please don't do that. You give them a taste, right? You give them a taste. All right, this is what we're talking about here, all right? That's what this is, this is a taste. It's not a complete disaster, it's a partial disaster. And it's meant to teach a lesson. And it is a call to repentance. That is what's happening in Revelation. If we go back to Revelation, we'll see this all through this terrible sequence. Like, uh, for example, chapter 9, verse 20 says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshipping demons, idols of gold, etc., 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 etc. It's a call to repentance. That's what God's looking for. He's not happy about destruction and despair. So that's the first four trumpets. Now let's look at the next three trumpets, if you would. So following the four trumpets, which all, you know, the blast of the first four trumpets unleash these unnatural disasters, comes the three woes. And these three will also share a theme. They're not about natural disasters. They're disasters that come about because of the evil within the hearts of human beings and the evil forces at play in our created world. And the angel who announced the three woes, he knows that the first four trumpets were bad. You know, they were very bad. Um, but he knows that the three that follow are going to be even worse. And they are designated as, whoa! Because they're so horrifying and so destructive that only God, through his great power, and those he asks to assist him, will be able to repair the damage that these woes do to the earth. The three trumpets, the three final trumpets, are calls to war and battle. That's their theme. War and battle. In a contest for world domination. That's what they're all about. The fifth trumpet, the wars of the beast. The sixth trumpet, I'm going to call them the wars of the east. See, it rhymes there, right? Seventh trumpet, War with Christ, the King of Kings. Now, when we look at these, I want you to think about a very important concept, which is God has been holding us back. God holds us back. He holds humanity back. And some people might hear me say that and say, well, yeah all his rules and all that stuff hold us back. No, that's not what I'm getting, getting at at all. From the very beginning, human beings, well, we were actually designed to have dominion over this planet. Go to uh, Genesis 1. Real quick, that, that, was, that was what God had in mind. So we're created with, you know, sort of an innate knowledge that this is our, this is our thing. This is what we're here for. Uh, verse 28, speaking to the man and the woman, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, over the fish of the sea, the birds of heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. 
have dominion over the, over the whole planet. It's yours, that's what I've made you for. Our dominion is a commission from God. Like, an, you know, we're ordained to do that in some ways. But it me it's meant to be attending and caring for the earth. Not exploiting it or destroying it or fighting one another tooth and nail to see who's going to end up on top. We're in Genesis, so just jump over to chapter 2 and take a look at verses 6 and 7, which, speaking of the man and the woman, say there was a mist going up from the land and it was watering the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every green tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. Now that's not the verse I wanted. Give me a sec here. Where's the verse that says in he, he to tend the ground? There you go. Thank you. <laughs> right. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. That was the intention. Our dominion over the earth was to take care of it. To work it and to keep it. What's happened, though, is that humanity has perverted and twisted our ordained role into destructive activity rather than care and nurturing. And it, we actually probably would have gotten to the point of no return a long, long time ago if God had not had been holding us back. He holds us back until the appointed time. Um, we're in Genesis. Hopefully I've got the right verse this time. Genesis chapter 11. This is uh, the Tower of Babel. And, you know, the people have gathered together and they're building this mighty tower and they're doing all this great stuff and God looks at it and he's not pleased. I mean, what's wrong with building a tower? You know, you see your, your kid building a tower out of blocks and you think, oh, that's so creative. <laughs> you know, you like that, right? God sees humanity doing this and no, he does not like this. In verse 7, he says, uh, okay, we got to go down there and confuse their language so that they don't understand one another. Oh, wait a minute, I should have backed up. Um, boy, i write that down. Now let's back up to verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they're one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they will propose to do will now be impossible for them. And if we, just, if we leave them unleashed, they can do anything. So come, let's go down and confuse their language so that they don't understand one another's speech. Let's hold them back. If I let humanity just do what they're capable of, this will get out of control real fast. And God has continued to hold us back since then. Even today, he is in one way, shape, or form holding back us from 
what we're capable of doing to ourselves. And he's also holding other forces in the universe at bay so that they don't destroy us either. But at the appointed time, God will remove the forces of restraint. He's going to stop restraining all this stuff, whether it's what's in our own heart or what's out there. And when the restraints are taken off, the human impulse for domination will create a situation where all life on the planet would be destroyed if God, through Christ, did not intervene to stop it. So let's take a look at the fifth trumpet, the War of the Beast. God has restrained human beings from our own creative destruction. Right? But he has also restrained Satan and the spiritual forces of evil and wickedness that are at work in this world. Yes, we see a lot of evil in the world. We see a lot of bad stuff. Uh, we have no idea. As bad as it is, God's holding it back. And we sometimes think about, wonder about, talk about evil and suffering in the world What's, what's going on? What's God up to? And those of us with knowledge of the Bible understand Satan's role in provoking human evil. But the evils that we see in human history and perhaps in the world around us, I mean, they're bad enough. They're bad enough. And that's what's happening while Satan's restrained. What? will they be like when God no longer restrains the evil one? What will it be like? Go back to Revelation chapter 9. And let's read verses 1 through 6. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. So here we go. Here's the fifth trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. And then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die, but death will flee from them. So what's happening here? What's happening here? All this bad stuff happens. Did God cause this to happen? Or did he just take the leash off? God doesn't cause all these horrible things to happen. With the sounding of the fifth trumpet, he basically stops holding it back. He opens up the abyss. <laughs> we, humanity, we learn uh, it's going to be horrible. 
It's going to be really awful. And, you know, we don't get all the details, and I don't think we need them, but the, the, the gist of it is you have no idea. We also learn that the people of God will be protected from it, a theme that I talked about more a couple of days ago. So even with this, there's still restraint. There's still areas where God says, no, nah, you can't do that. Not them. Okay? But the leash is being taken off. You know, you see those dogs that are out on these leashes and the person has the little trigger and they can go, woo, and they can bring it back. Well, the leash is going way out. And we're going to see, whoa, what happens? We have no idea. God is still in control, though, because he does say, not that, you can't do that. So 2 Thessalonians, let's go there. Uh, 2 Thessalonians... And verse 2, sorry, chapter 2, verse 5, Paul speaking here, prophetically, giving people this prophetic sermon, Paul says a lot of things. He's talking about the man of lawlessness, the lawless one. And in verse 5, he says, don't you remember, speaking to this congregation, that when I was still with you, I, I talked to you about these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time, at the appointed time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So it's already happening, folks. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. So the spirit of lawlessness, it's been at work from the very beginning. It's always been there, but it, it's been held back. It's been a, a short leash. It's been held back. But here we're looking at a situation where there's going to be a powerful human leader, but he's empowered by Satan. Go back to Revelation now. Uh, just go to chapter 17, verse 8. This man of lawlessness, it's the beast we're talking about here. The king of the north, same thing. Verse 8 says, The beast that you saw and was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. So that which is coming up out of the abyss, this is the beast. This is the king of the north. This is the man of lawlessness. A human being and Satan involved. And there's, well, it's a much longer leash. I'm not going to say there's no leash. We're in Revelation, go to chapter 13. And the beast is really just sort of a description of a human system, a human system of domination powered by Satan. In Revelation 13, let's just take a look at verses 2 and 4. It says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear, its mouth was like a lion's. And to it the dragon gave its power. And the dragon, you know from Revelation 12, verse 9. That's Satan. So I'm just piling another verse on here that's telling you this is what's going on. 
This is Satan at work in the background. Satan gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? This is violence, war. We haven't gone into all that. The king of the north is known to swoop down on his enemies. This is, there's a lot of war going on here. I'm not going to get into all the details of that. But just, you know, people realize this is a huge military police complex. Who can fight this? You can't fight this. It's overwhelming. Revelation 9, verse 7. Through 12, it says the appearance, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads, were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces were like human faces, and their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle, and they had tails and sting that sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, the destroyer, and in Greek, the Apollyon. Whew, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. So the beast sets out, he establishes an iron grip on a part of the planet through violence, intimidation, military, and police power. It consolidates this power in a region that is basically what is west of the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River is that river that goes through Iraq. So the part of the world that's to the west of that, that's beast country. That's beast country, okay? And finally, he extends his conquest even over Jerusalem. And we'll go through that when we go through the king of the north. But take my word for it. That's what the beast does. And that's the first of the three woes. Ugh. Okay, the sixth trumpet, war from the east. All right, let's take a look at that. We're in Revelation 9. Let's take a look at uh, verses 13, and we'll go all the way through to 21, all right? So then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. This is the sixth trumpet, the second woe, right? The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before the Lord, saying to the sixth angel who had blown the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Notice again, something's being unleashed. It's not going to be restrained like it was before. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. So it's a big army. I heard the number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates, the color of, the, of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads in the fire and the smoke, and the sulfur came out of their mouths. These are probably description of horrible military uh, apparatus. Don't know. 
By these three plagues, the third of mankind was killed, and by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Ugh. Okay. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze, stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Whew, that's a real mouthful. That's the sixth trumpet. That's the second woe. Now there's always been a significant portion of humanity east of the Euphrates, and there still is. You look at a population map, you'll see the bulk of human population is east of the Euphrates. There's a lot of people there. India, China, the, the whole Persian area, Mongolia, Southeast Asia, there's a lot of people. Always have been. And they've sort of been out of the main stream of biblical thought, which kind of messes some people up. But they're separated apart from the whole beast, resurrection of the Roman Empire, um, all the forces that have sought to re resurrect the glory of Rome over the centuries and millennia. And uh, it's an area of the world that's also largely been outside the influence of the Bible. The influence of the Bible, if you know a little bit about European history, is sometimes good and usually bad. <laughs> There's a lot of good and evil mixed up in the way we take God's word and, and apply it. That's another way that we mess up. So we tend to think of the beast as ruling the whole planet, right? It's a world government, okay. But here we see that there's another contender for world domination, don't we? There's another contender for world domination. And here we're told that some sort of spiritual force, which has been holding them back, is removed. And they, then they move to attack the beast and in a giant battle for world domination. And that place where they're going to do battle is Jerusalem. They want to fight. So both the fifth and the sixth trumpets result in something terrible being unleashed, let loose. You have no idea what's out there. forces of spiritual delusion and the self-destruction that's within us is restrained until the appointed time. You know, when I, I think about my kids and I raise my kids, especially my son, you think, how in the world did he get to be 23 years old and not dead? <laughs> and then I look at my life and I think of all the crazy stunts that I got up to, and I think, sometimes it scares me. I think back of them, I think, how in the world did I not die as a, as a young boy, as a teenager? And I even look at my life, and I see so many places where I think, you know, that should have gone really badly. But it didn't, did it? And I don't think that it's just God's people, actually. I think, you know, God has a special place for us, but I think that he does this for every human being on the planet. 
Because I look at other people and I think, <laughs> how do we all survive? How do we get by? It's because God cares. And he's involved. And he, he's doing so much, but no one wants to think that God is helping them. No, I'm doing it all on my own. What a foolish, foolish way to look at the reality of this universe. God allows it. God allows it. What's worse, I think, what, what's worse, I think, is that we want God to leave us alone. Why doesn't God just leave us alone? I think that humanity's response to God throughout Scripture is just that. Just leave us alone. We'll work it out. You know, give us enough time and we'll figure it out. We're good people after all. We don't want you telling us what to do. You know, can I eat the fruit off that tree or not? We don't want you as our king. We don't accept you as our king. We want our own king. We'll pick our own king. And we don't need your judgment. We don't accept your judgment and condemnation. Why don't you just let us work all this stuff out by ourselves and leave us alone? The first and the second woes are in some ways God's reply, which is, if I might put some words in God's mouth, you don't realize that all along I have been holding you back from destroying yourselves, from doing things so stupid, so evil. And when I stop restraining you, if I stop restraining you, all that wickedness in your own hearts will lead you to the brink of total annihilation. You will destroy yourselves. I'm going to show you the violence and destruction that you're capable of. I'm going to let you see what you're capable of. But I will hold you back from complete and total annihilation. Well, okay. But what about, you know, we're good. And, you know, what if, what if there was no evil in the world? You know, wouldn't it be okay if Satan weren't here? You know, we've, we've read about Satan and his influence and then, you know, the angels are, are let loose and, and the, the, the abyss is opened up. What if all that, we just kind of would just let, it, we didn't have to mess with all that spiritual wickedness stuff. Just let us be, you know, um, flesh and blood people. We live out our lives, seek the happiness we can find. Just get rid of Satan and then leave us alone. Okay? Why do we have to suffer for all the evil that Satan instigates? Isn't that your problem, God? Well, there is a time when Satan will be permanently removed. We'll look at the first step in that process on the next holy day. And that will be a significant change in the history of the universe. But getting rid of Satan 
is not leaving us alone, is it? That's not what we wanted, right? We want to be left alone. But if God deals with Satan, that means he's actually still involved in our lives and helping us. It's another example of God intervening, helping and restraining. Because evil is real. That's something that the Bible tells you about. Not everybody accepts it, but evil is real and evil is out there. And it's active. And we either want to deal with the forces that are at play in this universe that we live in, which would include evil. So we either want to, you know, be left alone and deal with all this stuff, which, you know, the Satan plus the evil that's within our own hearts, or we want the Creator to provide a buffer between us and the evil that is out there. You know, we want God involved a little bit. Help us with this. We cannot have it both ways. And the first and second woes are just a small taste of what leaving us alone leads to. And it doesn't taste good. <laughs> it doesn't taste good. So Revelation, let's take a look at uh, chapter 11 and drop down to 14. So after this uh, wars from the east, there's a couple of intervening chapters, and then it says in verse 14 of chapter 11, the second woe is past. And behold, the third woe is still to come. Ugh. So the second woe is past, and billions of human beings lay dead on the ground. We read about that. But God did not slay them. He didn't kill them. He just stopped holding us back from destroying one another. The intervening chapters there, chapters 10 and 11, they give some information about stuff that's happening at the same time. So it's kind of like a, um, you know, if you're writing a story, you can't do everything chronologically. You have to have little, you know, backstories, you know? So it's a bit of backstory, just providing information about the 1260 days. And, uh, you know, it's a, a prophetic declaration that time's up. Time's up. Two witnesses. You know, in some ways, that's their message. Time's up. But instead of a buzzer, what do we get? A trumpet. A trumpet blast. The third woe, which is war with Christ. So we're in Revelation 11. Take a look at verse 15 through 18. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of or the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And the nations raged and were not happy. But your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. 
and for rewarding your saints, the prophets, and rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. <clears throat> the time when the seventh trumpet blows, and that, that's what this day is about, the final trumpet, the time comes to deal with all kinds of issues. Those who would destroy the earth, you know, it's kind of where we're focused right now. If I let you people go, you will destroy the beautiful earth that I've created and you'll destroy yourselves. <coughs> it says the nations are angry. The nations rage. But now what happens is that instead of fighting one another, you got the beast from the east and the beast from the west and they're, <laughs> they're charging together and they're going to butt heads. They stop. And they decide to join forces and they're going to fight against Christ when he appears. The nations were angry, but now instead of fighting one another, they form an alliance to fight against Christ, which is just another way, I think, of saying, leave us alone. Leave us alone. You don't belong here. Get out of here. And we're going to fight him. Well, not you and me, I hope. <laughs> but humanity is going to fight. Um, go to Joel 3, verse 9. Joel 3, verse 9 through 12. Joel is all about the day of the Lord and all this stuff that happens. And there, there's some interesting details that come out in Joel. The location. In verse 9 it says, Proclaim this among the nations. Cons consecrate for war. Prepare for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. And this is great. You know, it's a turnaround of Isaiah, the thing we're looking forward to in, in the Feast of Tabernacles. It says, Okay, you people down there, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak one say, I am a warrior. Okay, let's fight. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there, and bring down your warriors, O Lord, and let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit and judge all the surrounding nations. The valley of Jehoshaphat is just north of Jerusalem. The battlefield, where we're going to do battle. Let's go back to Revelation 19. Remember, these are battles for who's going who's gonna to dominate the world, right? Okay, Revelation 19, verse 11 through 12. I think we read this pretty much every year at Feast of Trumpets. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he's written, he has a name written on him, but no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's Christ. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God. To what? Eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men. The flesh of horses, and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Everybody's in on it. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who was in his presence had, and had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds gorged on their flesh. Okay. That's the seventh trumpet. And the three woes, the theme of them is war and battle for domination of the earth. First, we have the beast, uses war to extend his control and dominion over part of the planet. We have the beast, or not the, we have the war from the east. And then Christ comes. And that final call to battle is the seventh trumpet. The final trumpet. The last trump. God will not leave us alone. He will not leave us alone. Go to Matthew 24. Another one of the things we left unsaid when we looked through Matthew 24 previously. Matthew 24, verse 21. And 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, nor will ever be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, would be left alive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Jesus says, I, have, I will come back to save you from yourself. I think that's the same message he has for you and me today. I'm going to save you from yourself. And I don't think any one of us can comprehend how involved the Creator is in human affairs, nations and empires, but also in our own lives. He doesn't want to leave us alone. Where would I be? Where would you be if God left you truly alone? What future would I have or you have if God just left you alone? 
nothing. Without the active involvement of God, the present is meaningless, and the future is nothing. But be glad, and you can rejoice at the Feast of Trumpets for a number of reasons. We didn't cover them all today, but you can be glad because God will not leave you alone. God will not leave us alone. 